Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Saturday, July 18th, 2020, and we are back again doing our preparing for Sunday morning, and this Sunday morning is uh, the sixth Sunday after Trinity. Uh, we'll be looking at the texts and uh, expounding a little bit on what they uh, have to say and uh, preparing y'all to hear the sermon and to hear the texts uh, this coming Sunday, which will actually be tomorrow. So usually I try to get these things done on Thursday, but uh, it was a little bit of an off week, so that's okay. There's grace and all these things, right? Well, before we get started, let's begin with our first uh, with with our collect for this coming Sunday. That's the collect of the day. Uh, so let us pray. Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true, true religion. Nourish us with all goodness, and of your great mercy, keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we, uh, we, we begin, as usual with our gospel text for this coming Sunday. Uh, and there's going to be a pretty heavy theme here throughout, uh, throughout these texts uh, that we'll see kind of interesting where um, we're going to be pretty law-heavy, just going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and some of y'all, if y'all have been listening to the uh, these segments um, for the past couple weeks, think, man, that's... There's a lot of law. <laughs> there's there's lots of things to keep in mind, but but that's uh, to be expected. I think around this time of uh, the uh, common season after Trinity, where there's more catechesis uh, in the texts for good reason. So um, we learn more about God's will. Uh, we learn more about uh, the different ways that the law and the gospel. Um, can be seen and can be applied. I mean, there's there's the broad and the or there's there's the general sense of the law and the narrow sense of the law, and the same thing with the gospel, right? The general and the or the broad sense and the narrow sense. Um, we'll we'll get into some of that today, but let me first begin with our gospel text, which is from Matthew chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty six. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not in, not in, um, not in iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom 
um, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going while while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly i say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny this is the gospel of the lord praise be to thee o christ Sometimes we read these things and we want to put a little question mark there, right? Praise be to thee, O Christ, because we hear these things, and I've used that kind of a joke way too many times, I think. Um, so I promise I'll, I'll whittle down my use of it for now. Uh, but the thing is, is that we read these things and we think, my goodness, this is so harsh. How are we supposed to deal with this? Um, Jesus is uh, kind of giving us a lot to think here. Right, um, where he, he starts out saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then right after that, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And saying, Well, what do we do with this? How do we? He just said that he came to fulfill the law, but now he's telling us that our our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, other, otherwise, we will never be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. How's the, what is going on here, right? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. We need to read this uh, in a, a very careful way. Uh, a lot of times, people will read these things. People will read the words of Christ and they will forget who's speaking. They'll kind of abstract these words, and they will apply them, well, re really in the way that Jesus does not want them to apply them, uh, according to the um, desires of their sinful heart, their sinful flesh. They'll hear these things where, um, you know, they'll try and find a way to excuse themselves, right? Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus is trying to um tell us that we can't do. We can't excuse ourselves from the law, right? Because he says um, that heaven and earth pa shall pass away, that until heaven and earth pass away, not a jot or a tittle, as it's uh, traditionally known, not an iota, not a dot, those are the smallest parts of um, the writings, right? Um, not, a, not one little bit of the law will pass away until all is accomplished, right? And, and, 
and we get into this, you know, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot here. Um, and that's kind of the tricky task for pastors is to say, how do we grapple this text? How do we put it in ways that we're not just going to be condemning our hearers, right? Because pastors are called to preach the Word of God, right? And preach the full counsel of God. Sometimes you get pastors who will only preach the gospel. In fact, there are a lot of pastors who may say, I'm I'm not a law guy, I'm a gospel guy. It's like, well, you need to be a Word of God guy, and you need to preach the full counsel of God, which is the law and the gospel. Um, and I I make the joke sometimes, and 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 some might know that I, you know, before I became a pastor, I I was a, um, a trained um, paralegal, and I was thinking about becoming a lawyer uh, at one point in time. That was years ago, but uh, and I joke, you know, I traded the law for the gospel. Ha ha, yuck yuck. But um, it's not really true. I I have traded the the civil law, the law of man for, you know, the law of God that supersedes all this um, and that has to do with eternal salvation. Uh, in fact, it's it's a greater law uh, and yet a greater go- gospel still um, because the law in and of itself is not merciful. There's no room for mercy in the law as it's written, right? Um, it's there for various purposes. Uh, we have these understandings of the, the the three offices of the law, the three functions of the law. I try to shy away from the three uses of the law because if we talk about uses, we kind of imply that we have some sort of say in what those uses are whenever we try and utilize them. Uh, like some pastors or some people might say, well, I was speaking strictly in a third use of the law kind of sense, or I was speaking strictly in a second use or first use kind of sense of the law. And it's, and you know, the law is not something that we can kind of play around with um, to use to our own end. It is always to God's end because the law reveals God's will and it is perfect and good, right? That the law is not there to uh, just be these rules that we have to keep and God is somehow cruel by keeping us from something that um, is ultimately good for us. That's what our sinful flesh wants to tell us. Our sinful flesh wants to say, you know, oh, God's law is unfair. It's unjust. Uh, it is keeping me from what I really want. When in reality, God's law is there for our good. God's law is there to protect us and to protect uh, our neighbors as well from things that, you know, there is the threat of law. There are consequences of the law. We're not going to get into all these things. I mean, we could talk for a long time about the, the, the different aspects of the law. There's, you know, if you go back to Old Testament, there's, you know, the, the, the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law, and all these things, these, these different ways of understanding it. Um, but for our gospel text today, bring them back around here, we have to keep in mind the context, right? Who is Jesus talking to right now? Um, in fact, uh, um, in fact, Jesus is speaking 
in a way for all of his disciples gathered at the uh, you know the sermon on the mount here um where he is saying uh for i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven he speaks in such a way because uh because the pharisees were trying to finagle things in such a way to where they were showing their external righteousness, right? They were adhering to the law in an external sense. And that's what we naturally want to do. The old, the old sinful Adam, the old sinful man, the flesh, wants to find a way to be excused by saying, and we do it all the time right now, you know, you talk to kids. I mean, you talk to kids and you say, all right, let's take a look at the fifth commandment, right? <clears throat> and uh, we say, you shall not murder. Who has committed this? And all these kids will say, oh, I, I, I haven't done that. I, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't broken this commandment. You know, and, and, and that's what we naturally try to do. We try to say, hey, you know what? I haven't actually physically killed somebody. Or, hey, I haven't actually, uh, you know, committed adultery with another person. Uh, hey, I haven't um, given false testimony in a court of law against my neighbor or something. Or, or you say, hey, no, I haven't. Um, uh, you know, I've 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 kept the Sabbath day every day. You know, every every Sabbath day, I've kept it. I've kept it holy. I've 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 gone to uh, worship and everything. And that's why we have to understand these things. The full weight of the law is important because if we just think of it in, in an external sense, that um, we miss the entire point. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, you know, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell fire to the hell of fire, right? And, and so you see these things where we'll read this and we'll say, oh, wow, okay, um, Jesus, is, Jesus is intensifying this and he's not adding anything new. He's just revealing the full weight and, and force of the law where that's where we get in our uh, confession absolution, our rite of confession absolution um, on Sundays and even in private confession absolution. We say, you know, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And other divine service settings have, you know, with what I have done and with what I have left undone. And um, this is always really tricky because you get into the sinful desires of people and they'll they'll look at this and they'll say Jesus Jesus is surely intensifying this and then they will turn this into a legalistic twist right where they'll say oh I can't even call um my neighbor, or I can't call someone else a fool. So if I just don't say you fool, oh, I'm obeying it then, right? That's not it either. That's not it either. Because even Paul calls uh, the Galatians in his, in his, um, his letter to um, the church in Galatia, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So it's not the matter of uh, the, the exact word you say, 
It's not these things, but it is, uh, it's the intent behind it, right? There's hatred. There's, he's, he's revealing the anger in somebody's heart, and he's revealing the full weight and force of the law and the perfection that it demands. That's what's really being conveyed here. There is perfection demanded in the law. And uh, we may hear this and we say, well, where's the gospel? Where's the gospel in all this? It's kind of right in the middle, all right? Um, it's kind of right in the middle where we see in verse 20, Matthew 5, verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How is that gospel? <laughs> Remember who's talking here, right? Who is talking? Jesus Christ. That in him, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment, the fulfillment of God's will in the law, in all parts of it, the moral, the civil, the ceremonial, right? He fulfills all the tenets, all the parts of the law on our behalf. And he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whose righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful not to separate, not to abstract these things as if we're, you know, as if we as 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 if we can codify them in some way, just like the Pharisees and scribes tried to do, right? They tried to codify these things ad nauseum so that they could show, oh, I'm really keeping the law externally. But the point is that we cannot forget who is talking here, and it is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He carries the weight of the law on his shoulders, and he fulfills it for all flesh, right? So there is gospel in here, and it's also seen in the other texts as well, um, where, uh, you know, to see the Old Testament text, which is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And it is where we get the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments. Or really, the Decalogue is probably a better way to put it because um, it comes, it, it literally means the Ten Words, right? That there's been a problem, or there's, there's, there's been a challenge. I won't say problem, but there's been a challenge of numbering the Ten Commandments uh, in history and... Um, uh, you know, I'll, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Here, I'll get into that after I read it. Here, so let's hear. You've probably heard the Ten Commandments kind of codified as we do to keep them straight, uh, but let's let's hear them out because Lutherans we have our small com, our our small catechism, and the small catechism has a certain numbering of the Ten Commandments. But here, let's listen to it within the whole context of the passage. So Exodus chapter twenty. Verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any or or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your f- or your f- females females excuse me female servant or your livestock or the the sojourner who is who is within your gates <clears throat> For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his, or his, or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we see here that there's a lot here within these 10 words, these 10 commandments. And if you're reading the English Standard Version, you'll see that this is um, this translation was done primarily under the auspices of more Reformed kind of uh, thinking and interpretation. Um, and by, by Reformed, I mean Calvinist um, if we can talk about that some other time, the di- the distinctions between Calvinists and Lutherans, but we number as Lutherans, we hold to the traditional numbering, which you know the Roman Catholic Church still holds to it, and even uh, the traditional Jewish um, numbering is this, where you have uh, you know uh, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment is you shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Um, fourth commandment is um, honor your father and your mother that your days may, you know, and, and goes goes on from there. Where the disparity comes in between the Reformed, which you'll see, Baptists, uh, Presbyterians, um, general mainline um, Protestants, I guess you could say, which we Lutherans are not, just so you know. (laughs) We can get into that some other time. But we differ from them in a lot of ways. And this is one of the ways. We number our... We number the Ten Commandments in a different way because we have a different understanding of what goes into them. That 
that the Reformed, the Calvinist understanding, is that the second commandment is you shall not make for yourself graven images. And that's that gets behind some sort of iconoclastic understandings of things, too. That's why you, you, you don't see in Reformed circles... Um, uh, pictures of Jesus, crucifixes with the corpus, with with the body of Christ on there as, you know, re- represented on the cross. You know, you, you just don't see these things because they've codified it in their understanding of the uh, Ten Commandments, where we would say, well, if you understand it the way the church has traditionally understood it, this isn't a problem. Because he's not saying, you shall not make for yourself graven images at all, uh, he is saying you shall not make for yourself any graven or carved images of any likeness that is in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or that is under the water un- under the earth, you know, not bowing down to them, not having false idols, right? And that is the same thing as having other gods before the one true God. If we were to have pictures of Jesus, or a representation of what Jesus probably looked like, that's not breaking that part of the commandment because Jesus is God, right? That if we have crucifixes that have the body of Christ on them, the corpus, the corpus Christi, right? The, the, the body of Christ on the cross, show, you know, depicting the crucifixion, that is not breaking this commandment because that is God, you know, that is our, it's, it's kind of funny and I'll get off this tangent in just a minute, but it just, it's just kind of funny because people will uh, say, oh, that's too Catholic. That's too Catholic. It's like, well, uh, that's the way the church has always kind of seen Jesus. That the, the church has always made art and depictions of what Christ looks like, especially at his most beautiful act of sacrificing himself for the sins of the world on the altar of the cross, right? Um, That seeing that is a beautiful depiction of the love of God, and it is not making a graven image. In fact, it's kind of interesting because some people will go so far as to say, you know, God doesn't have a face. It's like, well, I guess Jesus didn't have a face then. You know, it just gets kind of ridiculous. Anyways, um. So we have this Decalogue, these Ten Commandments, and in some, in, in, in some ways it's, it's very appropriate to have them along with our gospel text because we really bear down on that fifth commandment there, you shall not murder, um, by understanding that, listen, it's, it's very straightforward, right? You shall not murder. Great. Got it. I, I, I have not killed anybody, and I have not you know, murdered them in cold blood, and good deal. Check. Got it done. But Jesus reveals the full weight of this, right? It's not just an external thing, it's internal. It is entire being that it it's an entire um, requirement of our whole self to fulfill the law in both thought, word, and deed. Not both, but all, all three of thought, word, and deed, right? That um, these things are important, and it's, it's important to understand that the full will of God is so that we would be perfected. But the law can't do this. The law 
always accuses, right? That's not the only thing it does, but the law always accuses us and shows us just how far, just how far short we fall um, in comparison to the, the way that God would want us to be, right? Um, so moving on, so what do we do with all this, right? What is, what is the response of this with the law? Because this, this is important. We, have to, uh, we need to understand the law. The law is important. Otherwise, we would just say, well, let's just toss out the whole Old Testament, right? Which Jesus doesn't do, but there, there are a lot of people who don't even focus on the Old Testament and the understanding of the ceremonial law, the moral law, the civil law, these things, right? That um, these, these things are important, though, because Jesus comes to fulfill them, and they are fulfilled in him. Uh, and, and so now that they have been fulfilled in Christ, are they just fulfilled in a very abstract way that we just kind of say, well, thanks, Jesus, what do we, but what do we do now, right? There's all these questions that can pop up if we don't have this thorough understanding about how Jesus fulfills the law and how he fulfills it for our sake and what that means for us now as believers. Well, that's what our epistle gets to, and it's from Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 11. Let me read that for you right now. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live... Ah, Excuse me. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Wow. So that's what happens, right? Uh, We now are, as believers, baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ, right? Uh, that is how the church has understood this. I mean, how can you not understand this to be a, a, something about baptism, right? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. That is not a symbolic thing. That is a very real existence. That is the very reality of a Christian, that death has no more dominion over him. And, there, and therefore, we who are baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death and his resurrection. We have received the benefits of his death, which is the forgiveness of sins. And we have received the benefits of his resurrection, which is 
the newness of life, right? That we here at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas, we we have um, we have an empty tomb out in front of the church here. That's you know it's kind of neat. Um, uh, it, it it catches some eyes, but above those above that empty tomb is three crosses, right? And one of them in the center stands taller than the other two. Um, these things are to remind us that they they go hand in hand, right? You can't just have a resurrection without a death, right? And when it's the Son of God, you can't have a death without a resurrection. It's inevitable, right? Death could not hold Christ. In the same way, the one who has defeated sin, death, and the power of the devil, we ought to pay attention to what he has to say, right? Now, that's why we have to understand that from the gospel text, we see this intensification of the law to show us just how far Christ has gone for our sake to fulfill the law to bring us into God's righteousness so that we would give up our attempts at fulfilling the law, to give up our excuses as to why we can't fulfill the law perfectly, so that we would trust in the righteousness of the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? That in being baptized into the name of Christ means to put on Christ, to receive his wonderful gifts, to receive his wonderful gifts of forgiveness of sins, of life and salvation. That in these things, you know, we we hear sometimes our sinful flesh will hear, oh, God likes to forgive sins. Oh, I really like to sin. This is a great deal, right? And we have to say no, right? That, that's part of our daily, you know, drowning of our old Adam in remembrance of our baptism, that we daily, uh, by um, contrition and repentance, drown the old Adam in the remembrance of our baptism. By remembering, I am a baptized child of God now, that I have died to sin, right? Because of what Christ has done to me not and done, done for me as well. That all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death that, um, let me see here, for he, for one who has died has been set free from sin. We have right now, though we, we, we kind of live in this weird paradox and we, we live in this paradox. So I'll get, I'll get to the significance of that statement right there in just a minute, but we live in this paradox and you'll hear, uh, Lutherans love paradoxes and it drives a bunch of other people, uh, a bunch of other Christians and Christian denominations kind of crazy because we are comfortable in paradoxes. We don't need to have certain things fully explained where faith treads, right? We, we understand that faith and God's word, uh, they should drive our reason, not the other way around. Um, that our reason should not be what it has the final say in what we believe, right? But that we say, God's word says it, we believe it. Amen, right? Yes, it is, it is true, because God's word does not lie. Uh, 
And we believe these things and we say, well, okay, so we believe on one hand that we are sinners. And yet we believe on another hand that Jesus died for us and that we have eternal life, but we're still going to die because the wages of sin is death. So how do we reckon? It's it just kind of mind-boggling. If you if if you run down every every bit of it, you kind of drive 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 yourself crazy. So we, you know, we have become very comfortable with the paradox of being simultaneously justified in Christ, yet at the same time we are sinners, right? We still have this body of sin that that will die someday. Uh, if Christ does not return before that. So we, we understand that we live in this paradoxical existence, that we live in this tension right now. And that's something to be uh, embraced, I believe. We should embrace this tension that as Christians, it doesn't become easier to live. It becomes harder because we become more aware of just how sinful we really are right? We understand the, the more we dive into God's word, the more we see, wow, there's a lot of things that I don't do that God wants me to do. Lord, have mercy. Help me to repent. Help me to turn away from those things. You know, help, help me to turn away from laziness. Help me to turn away from lust. Help me to turn away from anger, from envy, from hatred, from idolatry, from all these things, right? The more we learn about God's will for our lives, the more we see that we are wholly imperfect in terms of fulfilling all that God demands. Therefore, we run to the arms of Christ and we run to his rest that he provides for us in his death and resurrection, right? We live in this tension that we'll come to church on Sunday, we'll confess our sins, we'll be absolved by our sins, sorry, we'll be absolved of our sins by our pastor, <clears throat> we'll receive the great gifts of God's word, hearing it, you know, and, and receiving the body and blood of Christ on our lips for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. And then as soon as we probably go back to our pew, um, or as soon as we walk out of the church or the sanctuary or whatever, as soon as we get, you know, at, at some point, given our track record, we're going to fall. And where do we go to rely on these things? We rely on the gifts that God has given us, the forgiveness that he provides through the love of God that, God, that, he, shows, that he shows through Jesus Christ right? That's not to say that um, we're going to harp on how, oh, you're going to fall. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going to fall. You're going to slip. I mean, we don't, we don't focus on these things uh, at a certain point. Um, we focus on the love of God. Uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus um, have died with Christ and that we will also live with him that uh, in Galatians, Paul talks about how our flesh has been, you know, our sinful flesh has been crucified with Christ. And Luther makes this great uh, visual um, point that if you are struggling in your sinful flesh, uh, 
that you are struggling struggling with a particular sin, that you should imagine seeing it, you know, Im- imagine seeing your old sinful flesh crucified to, you know, nailed to the cross and stuck there, right? Think about it in the, in the sense of, you know, um, there's always this war between the spirit and the flesh, but it's not a stalemate, all right? Uh, this battle between the spirit and the flesh is not a stalemate because they're not equally matched. The spirit is greater than the flesh, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in more ways than one. That the spirit wins over in that the spirit helps us to remember that our flesh, our sinful flesh, our sinful desires, our sinful passions and lusts and all these things that would pull us away from the love of God, they have been crucified. They have had their hands and feet nailed to the cross and they have no modes of committing that sin in actuality, right? Uh, And so we can think of these sort of things to remember just how great a gift the Holy Spirit is, just how great a gift faith is, how great a gift God's grace is in all these things, that we can run to them when we are tempted, that we can run to them if we lose our battle with a particular sin and we say, Lord, have mercy on me, right? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we keep these things in mind. We keep this balance in mind that God's will will not pass away. God's will <clears throat> is fulfilled in Christ, yet we still live under a certain threat of the law, right? Um, there is threat of consequence for our sin. If we steal something, you know, we're going to be called on to be accountable for that theft. If we abuse somebody or we neglect to help somebody while when they're being abused, or we neglect to speak out against some injustice, like let's say abortion, then we, we are guilty passively. That's something we left undone right? If we do not speak up against certain things that are atrocious in God's eyes, you know, calling people to repentance, not just lambasting them for their sin, but saying, listen, this is not God's will for your life. He desires something more for you. And God's law is not something for you to just say, oh, well, God is cruel and unjust. He doesn't want the best for me. He wants the best for you. He wants you to not have to worry about being murdered. He wants you to not have to worry about being um, the victim of theft or um, having your character maligned by vicious gossip in breaking the Eighth Commandment. He doesn't want these things for you because he loves you. So he puts these laws in place so that his will, which is perfect and good, would be done. On this side of eternity, it will be done imperfectly, but on the other side... That law, that will of God on the other side of Christ's return and the restoration of all creation to perfect bliss, will the, the, the will of God will still be the same. It will be unchanging. Yet we won't need those laws anymore because no one will murder. 
No one will steal. No one will covet. No one will bear false witness. No one will commit idolatry, right? Then, but not now. For now, we need these things to remind us that we are sinners, but also to remind us that we have one who is greater than that sin, one who is greater than us, who fulfills the law on our account. All right, so don't forget these things. When you hear the law, hear the full counsel of God's word in the law and the gospel. All right. That's about all I have to say about that. There's so much more we could say. Um, I'm, I'm trying to keep this thing a little bit shorter than I usually do. I've been going off a lot on these things, and hopefully hopefully y'all have enjoyed it. Um, hopefully this has been a blessing to y'all in your preparations for Sunday. Um, and uh, uh, I hope that uh, y'all have a blessed Sunday, that your worship um, would be spirit-filled, and that you would be granted with all the grace that God desires to supply to you through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's peace, and uh, we'll see you next time.